Greetings and salutations, sports fans all across the wide and wonderful internet. It is time for another glorious episode of Modern Day Gladiators here on the Stage Diver Radio Network. I am always your humble yet glorious host, the ace of sports podcasting. Michael Shibley with you here, a little bit under the weather this week, just fighting through a little bit of head cold, so if you hear a little bit of a nasally sound and things like that, that's all it is, but I've still got all the greatness coming with you here as we keep the sports awesomeness coming. As always, I love you guys for listening and appreciate it always, and of course, you can go to the Modern Day Gladiators Facebook page. Give it a like. You can also follow me on Twitter at Michael underscore Shibley, also on Instagram as well. And, of course, you can listen to all the great podcasts we have on the Stage Diver Radio Network, Deadbeat Radio, Halfle, J&B's DLC, and much, much more. You can check all those out if you go to stagediverradio.com. You've got the media player right there. You can leave us questions at stagediverradio uh, at gmail.com. You can also check us out on uh the interwebs and download us wherever you get your fine podcasts. Apple Podcasts, tune in. Google Podcasts, Stitcher, all the great stuff. Check us out there. And, of course, if you do download, and of course, if you're listening right now, please do me a favor and like, subscribe, share. Give us those comments. Those five-star reviews help us immensely. So if we're worth it, please give us those five-star reviews. I would love you forever if you did that. So thank you very much. But let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Of course, a large jam-packed show, as always, because it is the eve, the week before the Super Bowl, so we're going to talk about all that as we break it down, of course, as the Patriots take on the Rams of Los Angeles. It's still, they've been there a couple years now, so it's easier to say LA Rams, especially because they were in Los Angeles to begin with, and they moved to St. Louis. Of course, the New England Patriots have been up there forever, so again, the New England Patriots versus the Los Angeles Rams is going to be, I think, a very fun Super Bowl. Yes, there's been plenty of controversy getting here, but now we focused on this matchup. Got some big things going. Of course, Tom Brady versus Jared Goff. It's going to be a battle of old and new when it comes to quarterbacks. Belichick, McVay, old versus new when it comes to so many different things out there. So it's very exciting. It's almost... So much of this is like Super Bowl 36, which is the last time these teams met in the Super Bowl. Granted, back then the Rams were in St. Louis, but you had Kurt Warner and Marshall Fox and Isaac Bruce and all those guys. And then the Patriots, they had Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, who've been around. This is, my goodness, their ninth Super Bowl together. And the previous eight Super Bowls, they've all been decided by eight points or less that the Patriots have been in, and I don't see this one being much of a difference. The line is three points. We'll get to my pick a little bit later, but you've got the big thing. Can the Patriots overcome all the Rams' playmakers? That's one of the big questions you're going to have to see, and again, how motivated are the Patriots? I know Tom Brady, of course, has been talking about the fact that no one respects us. They think we're dead. I haven't said that at all. If you've listened to these podcasts as we've been going along, the Patriots, to me, aren't going to be dead until they're just not playing football for that season. And they're not. They're still in it. People still have high hopes for the Patriots. So, and again, I think a lot of this is Tom Brady showing that motivation that sometimes these great players need. Michael Jordan showed that a lot, where he would almost just make up an issue to be mad with somebody and use that to just destroy them on the basketball court. Tom Brady, I think, does a little bit of that. 
again, he's had that motivation for being the 199th pick in his draft class. He still knows the names and where they were picked of all the other quarterbacks that were drafted above him in the draft class that he was in. So that's something you have to think of. And again, yes, the Patriots showed a little more vulnerability this year than they had in years past, but they still have a lot going for them going in this game, hence why they're favored by three points. No one has more experience than Brady and Belichick in this game. And Brady, of course, again, with this chip on the shoulder, he seems to be playing... He, he's Look at how he's been. He played great against the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. Even in the loss to the Eagles in last year's Super Bowl, threw for over 500 yards. So Brady, as I think 41 and a half, still playing top football. But it has helped late in the season, the emergence of Sonny Michelle and James White. And running back has helped James White and Sonny Michelle have also been great out of the backfield catching passes. The offensive line has been wonderful. And that's going to be an interesting matchup when you look at it, too. The Patriots' offensive line versus Aaron Donald, the sack master, 20 and a half sacks this season, led the NFL. Also, Indomitian Sue is in that defensive line. Brady seems to struggle in big games when you're able to get pressure on him with your base four if you can get the pressure on him. If you can't get pressure on him and even you drop eight or seven back, depending on how many you rush, he's still going to pick you apart. He showed that with the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC Championship game, but the New York Giants were able to get that pressure on him. If you look at those Super Bowls, they were able to do that. Can the Patriots be able to cover Brandon Cooks and Robert Woods, the Rams' wide receivers? Can the Patriots cover them man-to-man? They've done more man-to-man coverage than any other team in the NFL, I believe, this season. So that's something to look at. Who's going to get sacked more in this game? Because both Brady and Jared Goff have both not been sacked that much, especially through the playoffs. So that's going to be something interesting to watch. Meanwhile, with the Rams, of course, you've got Todd Gurley, C.J. Anderson, running back. They've been a great tandem in the playoffs. Uh, Cooks and Woods, I mentioned, wide receivers. And then, of course, Zerline, their kicker, who made that 57-yard field goal to win the game in overtime against the Saints. So they've got a weapon there. Of course, they've got Guskowski, I believe, there uh, with the Patriots. And, of course, the you, you just look at all of this. Only uh, Cooks and uh, cornerback Aqib Tlaib, they're the only starters on the Rams that have any type of Super Bowl experience. So that's something you will have to factor in when you think about all of this because, yes, the vast majority of these players and a lot of the coaching staff, especially Sean McVay, are in their first Super Bowl. So that's something you definitely have to pay attention to and see if the moment gets too big for them when it looks like it. Gurley has said he's going to be okay for the Super Bowl, so we'll get that. All of this stuff is going to come out. It's going to be really interesting to watch. What factor is Rob Gronkowski going to be in? A lot of rumors circling around that this might be his last game. We'll just see kind of how that goes. He was a darn good running block, run-blocking tight end, easy for me to say. So that has been really well done for him as well. So keep an eye on all of that. My pick, as we do it, because I know that's what you guys are here for, my pick, Super Bowl 53, I've got the Patriots 31 and the Rams 27. So I've got the Patriots uh, covering the spread 
and also getting the win and giving Brady and Belichick their sixth Super Bowl. I think just the experience and just the way Tom Brady has been playing in this postseason, I'm not going against them. I don't know why so many people have been piling on the Patriots. I'm not going against them at all in this game. If you want to, more power to you. But I'm going to stick with it and keep going with the Patriots to get the win in the Super Bowl. And of course, I have placed a bet, so I've put my money where my mouth is and also bet on the Patriots to cover the spread at minus three against the Rams. One of the other things, though, you talk about is with the Super Bowl, the gambling aspect of it. There is going to be an estimate of $6 billion bet on the Super Bowl, and that includes both all the new legalized sports gambling that they've had in the new states, including Pennsylvania and Delaware, New Jersey, Mississippi, and others that have now allowed sports wagering in their casinos, but it also factors in those little office pools. So if you think, oh, I don't gamble, you play in an office pool, a little money on it, that's gambling, ladies and gentlemen. So just keep that in mind if you think you're going to be a little more high and mighty. You're still putting some money on the game in an office pool. That's still considered gambling. So just remember that. But again, $6 billion betting on this game. Some of the prop bets that I'm taking uh, advantage of and going to give you my take on, you look at Gladys Knight, the, the Atlanta legend on the midnight train to Georgia. For those of you who don't remember that song, uh, she's going to be singing the national anthem. The over-under is at 1 minute 47 seconds. This has definitely been the lowest over-under I have seen in a while. I have usually bet the under on this one and been very successful the last few years on that one. I am actually betting the over. I think she's going to go over 1 minute and 47 seconds. Um, do I believe a player is going to be taking a knee during the national anthem? No, I do not. So that's another thing you can bet on. These are all bets, again, that you can place on certain uh, at certain casinos and, and sports books and also online. Um, will uh, Ted Rath hold back Sean McVay over under one and a half? He is the uh, strength and conditioning coach. He's also the get-back coach, essentially, to keep Sean McVay from running onto the field and getting run over by officials. Uh, I think... The over-under at one and a half. I'm going to go over with him getting him back because I think McVay is going to be really uh, the energy and enthusiasm of the moment is going to get to him, and I think they're going to have to pull him back a few times. Donald Trump tweets. They did this last year. The over-under at six. CBS is broadcasting his uh, interview that they're going to have pregame. So they're going to have that going on as well. I have the under at six. I think he's going to stay quiet. I do think he's going to tweet, but I think it's going to be a little bit less because people are going to be watching the Super Bowl and they're not going to be paying as much attention to Twitter when it comes to politics and everything else going on. That's just my opinion there, but I've bet the under on that one. Also, the champs will be, if they're going to go to the White House, which I think they will, just based on the the personnel involved in both teams, which... uh, type of food will be served because, again, the controversy of Donald Trump serving the Clemson players fast food, which I think is just something that I don't know why anybody's getting really that worked up over. just distracting you from everything else going on in the country. Personally, I don't know why you're paying attention to that, but you can bet on what type of food will be served. Is it going to be fast food or anything else? I'm going with anything else in that one. The Gatorade color, is it going to be lime green, yellow, clear water, uh, Orange, blue, red, or purple. I'm going to go with clear slash water is going to be the Gatorade that's going to be dumped on the coach at the end. Is a player going to propose? Because that has been happening with um, 
some of the players. I think in the World Series, they were doing proposals. I'm going to go with no on that one. Of course, you can bet on the halftime show how many songs are going to be sung by Maroon 5, the over-under 7.5. Not complete songs, but at least parts of the songs. I'm going to go over. They've got so many songs, and I don't even recognize most of them. I've, I've heard the songs, but I don't know if what it, that it was Maroon 5, mostly because they are just a bland pop band at this point. It's not even Maroon 5. It should be Adam Levine and four other guys in a band is pretty much what it is. Also, um, the predominant color of Adam Levine's top. Is it going to be black or anything else? Always bet on black when you're going with a color like that. Also, what song are they going to open up with? And I'm going to go with their number one hit that they had last year, Girls Like You. So those are my picks there. I'm probably not even going to watch the halftime performance. I'll have it on mute probably, but then I'm going to be watching Halftime Heat. The WWE is bringing back Halftime Heat this uh, this year with some of the best and brightest of the NXT brand. It's going to be uh, Tommaso Ciampa, Johnny Gargano, and Adam Cole, baby, on one side versus Aleister Black, the Velveteen Dream, and Ricochet on the other in a very high-flying and should-be-awesome six-man tag. So check that out if you want to. That's going to be on the WWE Network, and it's going to be on their social media as well. So is it going to be the same as the empty arena match that they had with The Rock and Mankind back years ago at one of the Super Bowls where Mankind beat The Rock by pinning him with a forklift? I don't think it's going to be on that level. I still think it's going to be a pretty damn awesome match, just judging by everybody involved in the match. So check that out if you get a chance, or just enjoy Maroon 5, which I don't see how you could enjoy Maroon 5, but... That's just my opinion. I could be wrong. But again, to finalize things, made it a little bit earlier, my pick, the Patriots 31, the Rams 27. Mark it down. Take it to the bank. That's my pick, and I'm sticking with it. That's going to wrap up this first segment, talking all Super Bowl and NFL and all the fun prop bets going on with it. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. We'll take a quick break, but we'll be back with Shibbles and Bits right after this on the Modern Day Gladiators podcast here on the Stage Diver Radio Network. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another glorious edition of Modern Day Gladiators here on the Stage Diver Radio Network. And again, Super Bowl Sunday is just days away. Thank you guys for listening to my breakdown of that. But of course, we've got plenty of other news and notes going around the world of sports. So it's time, of course, you hear the Pink Panther theme. That means it's time for Shibbles and Bits as we break it down. And of course, we've got to start with our number one ranked Tennessee Volunteers who have made it to a second week as number one. They did not do that the first time they were ranked number one back in 2008. Found it though still a little rocky atop the polls as it has not been easy for Tennessee as they have now become the number one team in the country. In 2008, Tennessee was number one for pretty much a couple of days, really, when it comes down to it. They got the number one ranking, then they played at Vanderbilt, 
lost that game, and they beat Florida on Saturday when they were still number one, but they lost the number one ranking the week after that. They played their first game as the number one ranked team in the country, again, at Vanderbilt, and this is a Vandy team that was 0-5 in SEC play going into the game, and Vandy gave Tennessee everything that they wanted in that one. Tennessee had to rally and fight Vandy to a tough overtime win, 88-83. Grant Williams was amazing in the game, 43 points, 23 of 23 from the charity stripe. He was amazing in that one, put the team on his back, and of course his effort in that one, plus the Tennessee win where they got off to a really sluggish start against West Virginia. They did come on in the second half and end up winning easily 83-66 to for his effort in both of those games. Williams was named the Naismith Player of the Week nationally, which was just awesome to see as Admiral Schofield had been struggling for the last few games. Probably the last three games Tennessee had played against Alabama, Vanderbilt, and the start against West Virginia. It's probably the worst basketball Tennessee has played all season long so far, but they did recover nicely last night as of this recording to beat South Carolina in South Carolina 92-70, to which is big because of a couple reasons. First of all, the Colonial Life Arena, or whatever they call it there in South Carolina, it is not an easy place to play. In South Carolina, the record might not show it, but they have done well in SEC play. I mean, they've beaten Auburn, they've beaten Mississippi State, they've beaten Florida. So a few ranked teams in there that they have already done in SEC play so far this season. Also, Tennessee was up nine at the half. South Carolina cut it to two points around the 13-minute mark of the second half. And, of course, they started to make a lot more noise. There was 18,000 people strong in that arena starting to make a lot of noise, but Tennessee behind Turner and Schofield and Williams and all these guys came back and ended up winning the game by 22 points. So you consider it was a two-point game, 13 minutes left in the second half, and they end up winning by 22. That's the kind of just hammered down that is a number one team you need to do in an opponent's building like that. It was amazing to watch. It's the first ever undefeated month of January for Tennessee since 1945, and Tennessee is on their first 15-game winning streak since 1915 through 1917. That was back when Woodrow Wilson was president of these United States. We hadn't even gone to combat in World War One yet at this point, so Consider that for as long as it's been since Tennessee has won 15 straight games and all the top teams that Tennessee has had here. And they did a lot of this. Jordan Bowden was out of the game. Uh, he kind of tweaked his knee in the shoot-around. They've said he's going to be back for the game on Saturday. And Alexander, who of course is a stalwart on defense, he fouled out of the game. He only played 10 minutes, only four of those in the first half, only had two points. So the fact that Tennessee was able to do that, most of it without two of their key players, was a real big team effort. Guys coming off the bench and helping. Johnson was great coming off the bench there. And, of course, Fulkerson. And Jordan Bone, of course, has been great at the point guard position. So it was a big team effort, of course led by peanut butter and jelly, as of course Williams has continued his awesomeness so far in the month of January, but also Admiral Schofield has kind of shot his way out of that slump. He also had uh, 23 points in that one. So peanut butter and jelly are back, and we're gonna need them both 
as we get into the run here in the SEC. Tennessee 7-0 in the SEC. They play at Texas A&M on Saturday, and then they host Missouri on Tuesday. So we'll see how that comes. And then, of course, another couple of games, and then it's against Kentucky, which is going to be huge. That game at Kentucky is going to be a big one, especially because Kentucky has quietly still a really good team, which is amazing to think that Kentucky is being very quietly a good team, but because of all the noise that Tennessee has generated being the number one team in the SEC, and it's not just business as usual with Kentucky. Of course, Kentucky also losing huge to Duke to open the season, kind of put dampers on what they were doing and losing to Alabama to open SEC play. But John Calipari has got a very good team there. So keep an eye on them. They're, Kentucky's going to keep climbing. I think they're at number seven right now. They just beat Kansas in Rupp Arena. Again, it's in Rupp Arena, so you should be beating Kansas there if you're Kentucky. But don't just think the Tennessee is just going to waltz right through this SEC schedule. I would love for them to go undefeated through the SEC because that's something pretty much only Kentucky has done. But you got to keep it in perspective. We've got some tough games, of course, at Kentucky. Kentucky comes to Thompson Bowling Arena. We've got back-to-back road games against LSU and Ole Miss. Mississippi State's a ranked team. Auburn, of course, is still ranked. So consider all of that here in the back half of this SEC schedule. But it's still looking great for Tennessee in their mission to become a number one seed and, of course, maintain the number one ranking in the country. Meanwhile, the freaky Fridayness with the Lady Vols is still ongoing where you've got the men's team being number one in the land and the Lady Vols struggling now even to be considered for the tournament. The losing streak finally over at six. Tennessee lost 77-62 to top-ranked Notre Dame, who of course over the weekend also lost their top ranking as they fell to North Carolina over the weekend. But the Lady Vols on Sunday were able to get a 74-65 win against LSU, which was good to see. So the losing streak is over. It looks like Tennessee can pick up another couple of wins coming up this week. Uh, 5-15 and 15 Florida on Thursday, so Tennessee should hopefully win that one at home. And then at Vandy on Sunday, which is usually a big rivalry game in women's basketball, but Vandy right now is at 6-14, and 14, so they're struggling a little bit this season as well. So hopefully Tennessee can get some of these wins, because right now, according to ESPN's Bracketology for women's basketball, the Lady Vols right now are the last team in that is not somewhere you would ever picture a Lady Vol basketball team being but that's the place they are right now but hopefully a few more wins can get Tennessee off the schneid and back into contention in women's college basketball get back into the tournament make some wins make at least a sweet 16 or even an elite eight if they can get some of these wins together and maybe save Holly Warlick's job we'll see how it goes as the season progresses Season's just about to start, though, as we're getting close to the month of February, so it's baseball and softball season. Preseason polls are out for Lady Vols softball, as the Lady Vols are ranked nationally 8th in both uh, preseason polls that have come out, so good for the Lady Vols, looking to get back to the Women's College World Series. Uh, The rankings right now go, at least in the uh, ESPN uh, poll preseason poll UCLA number one Washington number two defending national champion Florida State at number three Oklahoma Florida Arizona and Georgia ahead of the Lady Vols so again a lot of competition looking forward as always to Lady Vols softball season it's always fun to catch them at Sherry Lee Parker Stadium here in beautiful Knoxville Tennessee a little cold out there as we've got 
you know, the end of the polar vortex, not as terrible of a polar vortex as, say, they're getting in the upper Midwest in Wisconsin and Chicago and places like that where it is bitterly, bitterly cold. Like, don't go outside for more than five minutes cold. You can go outside here. It's still above freezing. Or, I'm sorry, it's still above zero, I should say, in Fahrenheit. Uh, you know, wind chill's down around, I think, 15 right now as I'm recording this, but by Sunday, it's going to be back in the 60s. So you got to love that Knoxville weather as things go up and down crazy. But that's going to wrap up everything going on here in beautiful Knoxville, Tennessee with the Vols. But let's keep it going with the college theme as Penny Hardaway has keeps running his mouth when it comes to controversy and all these things. Now Penny Hardaway is saying that NBA background of his Memphis coaching staff and himself is creating a little jealousy among other coaches putting a target on his back in the first season with the Tigers. Now again, everybody remembers that there was the verbal jabs with Tennessee coach Rick Barnes a couple of days after the Vols beat the Tigers saying that the fists were balled up and all this other stuff and he's just running his mouth. And now he says, you know, that he feels that there's a target on his back. There's a lot of people that don't want me to succeed because it's going to look like an NBA guy came back with no experience and won. So, of course, I relish in that. Which, again, yes, it is a factor in recruiting for Penny Hardaway to have those that NBA experience. But also Patrick Ewing has that at Georgetown. Chris Mullen has that at St. John's. So you have to consider the source when it comes to that. Yes, those guys can go in with recruits and say, hey, I can help you get to the NBA. But John Calipari and Mike Krzyzewski have been able to do that. Bill Self has been able to do that at Kansas. They're guys who have been able to do that without the NBA pedigree. Yes, maybe it gives him some easier access to some people to start out with because he's just a first-year coach, never coached in college. But it's something to think about because, too, really, Penny Hardaway, all he has to do is recruit Memphis. That's it. You can get into the NCAA tournament pretty much every year consistently if you just get the best players in Memphis to come play at the University of Memphis. That's all you got to do. You can get some either even better guys. That's great for you. But just consider the source with that. Penny Hardaway, yes, is doing it his way, which is great. It come could come back to burn him later on but right now he's making a lot of noise and right now that's all it is just noise if it turns into results great the state of Tennessee basketball is better when Tennessee's doing well Vanderbilt's doing well and also Memphis is doing well so if you get all of these teams doing well it's just better for all of us as a rising tide lifts all boats so hopefully Penny can come and be very successful at Memphis but he needs to calm down some of the rhetoric just a little bit because he's not making friends and influencing people right now. But again, they did just beat Central Florida, which was the preseason favorite in the American Athletic Conference this past weekend. So, again, that's one of the things. And they've got an outside chance to make the NCAA tournament. So just keep that in mind. I'm rooting for Penny, but you got to watch some of the rhetoric there, uh, Mr. Hardaway. Just woosah just a little bit. Get your guys into the tournament, and then you can start jawing a little bit more. Meanwhile, of course, as we always congratulate winners first here on Modern Day Gladiators, Novak Djokovic defeating Rafael Nadal to earn his seventh Australian Open Championship. Blitz Nadal, 6-3, 6-2, 6-3 in straight sets. That's his seventh uh, Australian Open title, 15th overall. Of course, Nadal and Federer are above him, but still 15 titles 
is a lot when it comes to majors, so that is just amazing. And of course, we keep waiting to see if someone else in men's tennis is going to get there. The only one who's won multiple uh, majors besides Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic has been Andy Murray, and he's retiring because his hip has decided to fail him. So we're waiting to see when the next big wave of men's tennis players are going to come. So we'll just see how that goes. But again, congratulations to Novak Djokovic. It'll be interesting to see as all these people go into the French, of course, Nadal is going to be the odds in favor to win the French Open because that's what he does. It's death, taxes, and Rafael Nadal winning the French Open. But you talk about looking for stars in men's tennis to replace some of these ones that they're starting to get a little bit older when it comes to Nadal and Federer. One of the ones on the women's side, we might have one. I'm not crowning her yet, but one of the ones you have to look at is Naomi Osaka. She defeated uh, Petra Kvitica, uh 7-6, 5-7, 6-4 on Saturday. So it was a real grind-out win for Osaka, but she wins her second major, second in a row. And she's the first one, I think, since Jennifer Capriati to her first two uh, Grand Slam or major titles are back-to-back, which was great to see, especially after just the absolute jobbed out she got by the crowd and everybody because of that controversy, because Serena, acting like at the time, I think a 37-year-old baby, and just taking away from Osaka's moment in that one, the fact that she got a great moment here in uh, Melbourne, Australia, which, by the way, we're having the polar vortex here. They're having record heat down in Australia, so it has not been fun weather-wise <laughs> all around the world right now. But it has been amazing to see Osaka. She's, a, you know, approachable. She's a great tennis player. She's someone who can definitely maybe even carry the torch once Serena, at 37 years old, finally decides to retire but again, Serena's still going to be there for a while. She's still going to be trying to win majors. But Osaka, I think, could be a big, big star. She's going to be now number one in the world, which is awesome. She's the youngest number one at 21 years old in nearly a decade. Uh, Caroline Wozniacki was 20 when she first ascended to the spot in 2010. So that's great to see as well. And I'm, again, really happy for Naomi Osaka. Hope she continues to win more. I want her to win another U.S. Open and hopefully the crowd gives her the respect and courtesy that they should have given her last time when she won instead of just jawing and jacking because that was not Osaka's fault. That was all Serena Williams' fault that it ended the way it did. So just remember that, everybody. So there it is. I said my piece. Moving on, as you can hear, the next story in Shibbles and Bits. Of course, we've got... Controversy in the NBA, as always, as uh, the New Orleans Pelicans have planned to listen to offers because Anthony Davis, their all-NBA center, has said he does not want to re-sign a contract extension. He wants he wants to be traded. His agent happens to also be LeBron James's agent, so of course there's all this talk of collusion and all this other craziness going on, which, I mean, there's always collusion going on. It's all LeBron James. He's player, he's coach, he's probably GM. He could pretty much say whatever he wants to get what he wants, and if he wants Anthony Davis, I'm sure the Lakers can find a way to get Anthony Davis to come there. So, we'll see. Of course, the Boston Celtics could be in play if they get rid of Kyrie Irving, which would be interesting. All this other stuff, they did fine Anthony Davis $50,000, which is a lot to everybody else, but not NBA players for the most part when it comes to what they're doing. 
it, it'll be interesting. The trade deadline, I believe, is like nine days away as, as of this recording. But again, it's a mess when it comes to talking about collusion and all this other stuff that comes there. So, again, it's the have and have-nots. We'll see where he ends up, but, of course, once he ends up somewhere, we will talk about that here on Modern Day Gladiators. And breaking news, of course, you can always check out the Modern Day Gladiators Facebook page. You give it a like, you get access to my live videos where I give you updates on what's going on news as it breaks if it's something that can't wait for us to talk about here on the podcast. A couple of other news and notes coming out as well. Uh, the Nevada State Athletic Commission uh, has suspended Khabib uh, Nurmagomedov. I'm sorry if I just butchered that. And then Conor McGregor for the brawl that they had at UFC 229 because the, the you know the fight and the melee that happened back in October. Uh, Khabib was suspended for nine months and fined five hundred thousand uh, dollars out of the disclosed two million dollar perch. The suspensions, by the way, are dated retroactively to the October 6th date when this happened. Um, So he'll be able to fight on July 6th. Also, uh, they've offered to reduce the suspension to as little as six months if uh, Habib participates in anti-bullying campaigns in Nevada. McGregor got a six-month suspension, also retroactive to October 6th, and fined $50,000. Again, a lot of that is because uh, Habib and his camp were the ones that were responsible for instigating the fight, which is always weird when you think of Conor McGregor being involved in it as well. And of course, uh, Habib's cousin, lightweight, uh, Abukar Namagadevadov, I'm probably butchering these, and his teammate, Zubria Tukhogov, each received one-year suspensions uh, for their roles in the fight. So, we'll see. Again, it's going to be one of these things where the melee... Looking back, it occurred uh, back after Habib submitted McGregor in the fourth round of their lightweight championship fight back at UFC 229, back at the T-Mobile Arena there in Las Vegas. Uh, Habib, you know, he leaped out of the octagon, jumped into McGregor's corner to confront Dennis. It was just, it was a mess. Uh, McGregor was restrained from jumping out of the octagon, but traded punches with Abukar and took her how I, I am butchering these names and I apologize. The commission in Las Vegas police eventually defused the situation. No serious injuries were reported, but again, it's almost like one of these things when when you think about it, when it comes to this, is I toss the paper aside to view and talk about what I was mentioning, where it's almost like the UFC, they have real fights, the fights are real, but the booking and the craziness that happens and everything besides the fighting is very WWE-like when it comes to a lot of this stuff. So, of course, these suspensions could go away if the right palms are greased. And again, they made so much money off the fight. I think it was the highest pay-per-view for UFC at the time. So, again, money talks and you know what walks when it comes to so much of this stuff. But a little good news here for wrapping up shibbles and bits. Rams wide receiver Brandon Cooks, he surprised uh, Rams janitor Alfonso. Uh, They've withheld his last name for privacy with tickets and travel to the Super Bowl. Um, Again, he just is showing his appreciation for a guy who's there every day, keeping their locker room looking nice. Uh, Alfonso is going to take his son to the Super Bowl, which is just something good. And one thing I've learned for a long time, you appreciate the people who work their tails off 
for very little pay when it comes to a lot of this. And if you do it and you're going to get rewarded by the people who notice. And that's the big thing that comes here. You know, one of the things my wife always talks about, the first people she really truly makes friends with as a teacher wherever she is, is make friends with the janitorial staff because they will keep your room looking great. You give them respect. They will just keep the room awesome. They'll help you fix things. They'll help you with issues like that. So that's one of the people she always does that. And I I agree. You keep them happy and everything just starts out great. Just doctors. Be nice to the nurses because, trust me, the nurses can make you look even better than you already are as a doctor. I know from experience of seeing it in action myself. So, again, kudos to Brandon Cooks for uh, sending Alfonso some Super Bowl tickets. He can have a wonderful memory with his son there in Atlanta and maybe celebrate a Super Bowl victory if the Rams come away with the title. Again, I don't think so. I've got the Patriots winning 31-27, to but it still should be an awesome and more uh, memorable event there for Alfonso and his son. Meanwhile, wrapping up, thank you for listening to Shibbles and Bits, but we're moving on. We're going to get in the arena here on Modern Day Gladiators as we talk about Royal Rumble weekend and what a weekend it was. It was a long, exhausting weekend when it comes to it as well. NXT TakeOver, though, the two and a half hours that they do for their show the night before the big event, always kicking ass. It was wonderful. Those two and a half hours flew by. The War Raiders, new tag team champions, defeating the Undisputed Era of Kyle O'Reilly. And Roderick Strong, you've got a new uh, North American champion as Johnny Gargano defeated Ricochet in just an incredible match. you got to watch it. High-flying, reversals, savagery. It was amazing. It was a five-star classic. Uh, Shayna Baszler and Tommaso Ciampa both retain. Uh, It was really an interesting, though, uh, visual at the end as Ciampa was walking back Uh, holding Goldie, what he names his title, uh, holding it to his chest and then standing triumphant on stage. But then Johnny Gargano came out there again, former uh, DIY tag team, former best friends. They've been fighting all through 2018, but they come both standing on stage, holding their titles up. Again, are they now back in collusion? Is DIY back together? We'll kind of find out because they're both going to be teaming with Adam Cole, baby, on a six-man tag against Aleister Black, Ricochet, and Velveteen Dream as part of Halftime Heat coming up this Sunday. So again, check that out if you get a chance. But again, just great matches all up and down the card. Five matches, quick and easy. The Royal Rumble on Sunday, perfectly fine. Enjoyed every moment of it, but it just took far too long. If you add in the pre-show, which I do because it's part of the event, if you add in the pre-show plus the Royal Rumble event itself, it was seven hours long. It's just too long. I mean, WrestleMania is going to be like that too. It's great, but the crowd just is out of gas by the end of it. I mean, you look, the best match was the opener. I saw Becky Lynch versus Asuka, which was amazing. Asuka retaining, and then the Women's Royal Rumble happened, and 
what went on with that. Becky Lynch came in because Lana, who had been knocked out after Nakamura, knocked her off and, and broke her ankle uh, in the U.S. Championship match earlier. Lana's trying to come out at number 28, but she can't walk, and then Nia Jax coming out at 29 just beats her up. So Becky Lynch demands the spot, and she was given that spot. So she's in the Royal Rumble. She eliminates Nia Jax, who, of course, broke her face uh, months ago. And then she also eliminated Charlotte to continue that rivalry. So Becky Lynch goes and wins the Rimmons Royal Rumble just about an hour and a half after losing uh, her title match against Asuka earlier. So great uh, night for Becky. She had a great match with Asuka and then wins the Royal Rumble. So you had that going on. Uh, Seth Rollins, the architect, winning the Men's Royal Rumble, coming out at spot 10. Well, that was good. The Rumbles, again, were fine, but what you ran into, unfortunately, with the women's match, you did not have returning legends like they did in the first Royal Rumble, and I understand why they did that in the first one. And a lot of these women come up from NXT, which is great. I love seeing them, but they don't have a lot of the name recognition because not as many people watch NXT as might be familiar with some of the returning legends that you would have coming in for the Royal Rumble. Meanwhile, the men's Royal Rumble was fine. I had no real problems with it. It was great to see Jeff Jarrett, of all people, come out. Someone that Something you would never have thought happened back in 1999 when Jeff Jarrett, pretty much because his contract ran out, which was WWE's stupidity at that part, but said, yeah, he'll job to China in their uh, Intercontinental Championship match, but he held him up for a lot of money because he was without a contract at the point and went to WCW. So I was really surprised to see Jeff Jarrett back, and now it looks like he's going to get an executive producer or some sort of producer role backstage and maybe some on-screen time, which was something you told me 20 years ago in 1999 that was going to happen. I would have never believed it. So that was awesome to see. Daniel Bryan, uh, with the help of uh, Rowan, uh previously from the Wyatt family has helped him as being a new uh, almost earth buddy when it comes he retains his crowd the crowd was dead it was a great match against AJ Styles a lot of hard-hitting stuff but again the women's Royal Rumble had just happened and they got a great moment with Becky winning and I think the crowd was just out of gas as much as I would have loved it you could have cut so many of these matches Ronda Rousey and Sasha Banks as much as I love Ronda Rousey and Banks was a great match but you could have cut so much of this and just had less time. Again, so long, the crowd just can't stay in it for all of these matches for that long. It's exhausting to do anything for seven and a half hours. Even sitting down for seven and a half hours can be exhausting. Uh, Brock Lesnar retains over Finn Balor. He, uh, Finn Balor had a lot of hope spots. It was great to watch, but again, he falls short. You've got new tag team champions with Shane and The Miz, Nakamura. Mora, again, was the new United States Championship, even though he lost that to R-Truth on SmackDown, which was interesting because R-Truth had come out at number 30 for winning the Mixed Match Challenge, but he never even got a chance to go into the Royal Rumble because Nia Jax beat him up and took his spot, and then she got in, she eliminated Mustafa Ali, but then she got a 619 and an RKO from Randy Orton and Rey Mysterio, and then was tossed out. So it's going to be interesting to see, are they kind of making her into maybe the next China when it comes to competing with men? Are they looking to do more intergender style matches? Not just the mixed match challenge where only the men can wrestle the men and the women can wrestle the women. Are they looking to move forward in that? This is going to be interesting to see going forward. I'm interested to see where that goes. Becky Lynch 
uh, chose to fight Ronda Rousey, uh, Ronda Rousey, who had just, of course, also defended uh, against Sasha Banks in a very good match, and then also against Bailey on Raw, and then Becky Lynch came out and ready to go. Is Charlotte going to get in? I honestly think it would be better overall, really, if it's just Becky Lynch versus Ronda Rousey. Of course, now there's rumors that Ronda might be leaving after WrestleMania, now go back into more of a part-time role as she's maybe wanting to have babies with her husband. We'll just kind of see how that goes. I'm sure USA and Fox are real happy that Ronda Rousey might not be a full-time competitor. We'll see how that all shapes up in the future. A lot of questions going on right now, a lot of misinformation and rumors, but Lynch is choosing that. But again, do we want Charlotte and she's been interjecting herself. She interjected herself on SmackDown, again, beating up Rousey. So we'll see if it ends up being a triple threat match with Charlotte, Rousey, and Becky Lynch. I don't know. I'd almost want it to be a one-on-one match with Ronda Rousey and Becky Lynch just because that seems to be what makes the most sense. I know star power-wise, they're looking to add Charlotte in there, but i got to go with Becky Lynch and Ronda Rousey one-on-one personally. Rollins didn't officially make a pick, but it looks like he's going to be picking Brock Lesnar instead of Daniel Bryan, so that should be good. Daniel Bryan, of course, has got to defend his new, uh, newly minted oak and hemp title belt, because again, it is uh, earth-friendly. You know, he took the old belt, which was made of leather and a cow named Daisy, apparently, and threw that in the girl garbage because he did not want something that was going to be unsustainable so he brought out his new championship belt with Rowan standing there with him that is made out of 100% sustainable hemp which is hilarious for a lot of reasons and then also made out of uh, oak from a tree that had fallen naturally in the forest so again Daniel Bryan this new heel character I love it I think it's great it's awesome I love everything about it, but he's got to defend his title in the Elimination Chamber. Looks like against AJ Styles, Randy Orton, Samoa Joe, and Mustafa Ali. So that could be interesting. Also, Jeff Hardy, I think, is going to be involved as well. So a lot of things set up going forward. A great Royal Rumble weekend. We'll see how it all shapes out. And, of course, we'll talk all about that here on Modern Day Gladiators. But that's going to wrap it up here this week. Thank you guys for listening. As always, please like, subscribe, share. Give us those five-star reviews if we've earned it. I would love you forever. But until then, Michael Shibley signing off. Too sweet. Love you guys. See you next time.